Night Happens with Pinelo Mutine. Pinelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. Eight minutes after one o'clock. Good afternoon. Welcome to, is it Tuesday? Is it Wednesday? We were reading Wednesday. Wednesday edition of Life Happens. We're going to be together until three today. How are we starting the show today? Is we asking about holistic healing? Holistic healing, so many different ways of dealing with this. But what I'm really interested in is a science called integrative doctors, integrative healing. Dr. Carmen James is an integrative doctor and a wellness coach. I'm going to ask Dr. Carmen James to explain what an integrative doctor is. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for making the time, Dr. Carmen. Good afternoon, Pamela. Thank you so much for having me and good afternoon to your listeners. What is integrative medicine? Oh, it's a lovely question and I think people, you know, kind of get caught off guard when I say that and it's intentional yes. because, you know, I mean, I went to medical school, studied medicine, conventional allopathic medicine, mm. but what integrative medicine is, the way I like to explain it is, it's kind of like a root cause medicine. Okay. So instead of focusing just on the symptoms mm-hmm. and, you know, how we would usually do prescribed medication, if mm. you have an ache or a pain mm. or your blood sugar is high, mm. and we, you know, we write a prescription for medication. Integrative medicine is a way of practicing medicine that tries to get to the root cause of the disease wow. so that we can address that cause and hopefully reverse some of your illness and even prevent illness from wow. happening. So, for instance, what... Is that a big ask for somebody, for instance, that comes to you with stage four cancer Mm -hmm. and says, are you able to assist me and deal with the root cause or is that maybe too late? Right. So it's fantastic. That's a fantastic question because people are on a journey. I always think of health as a journey. Mm. And, you know, whether you're at the beginning of your journey and you're trying to prevent illness or whether you're right at the end, for example, a person who is in stage Mm. four uh, disease is very advanced in Mm. their disease. Integrative medicine offers an opportunity to help may not necessarily be able to reverse everything Mm -hmm. based on where you are in your stage. Mm. However, Let's say, for example, if you are diabetic Mm. and you are on medication, but you also want to address some of the lifestyle factors that could be contributing to your diabetes, integrative medicine can help. So if you are that that person with the stage four cancer, for example, we may not necessarily be able to reverse your cancer. We're not claiming to, you know, uh, have a, a silver bullet here, but... Are we able to perhaps see how we can optimize your lifestyle Mm -hmm. to improve your healing, but also to improve your quality of life? And that's really what integrative medicine is about. It's about adding more life to your years. This is amazing because I think sometimes people, um, their lifestyle responds to a symptom. Right. So Mm. so somebody and and you're speaking about the root cause. So somebody could Mm. come to you and say, I, I know I'm diabetic. I've mm. been told I am. I'm on insulin or whatever the case may be. But mm-hmm. I really, really struggle with the diet that I'm supposed to mm. follow because mm. my blood sugar levels drop so much. Yes. Um, yes. And that's maybe where you come in? Yes, absolutely. So we generally tend to focus, I, I like to say there's like six core pillars of health and maybe it's we'll get the, into yep. them uh, through through your show. But we, when it comes to, for example, diet or mm-hmm. nutrition is definitely one of those pillars. 
And for people who have diabetes, for example, mm. many other chronic diseases, but especially diabetes when we're thinking about the blood sugar level, mm, mm. there are so many things within the diet. You know, people kind of think, oh, but I don't even have sugar in my coffee. Yep. Or, you know, I don't eat cakes or sweets. Not realizing that sugar is in so much of the food that we eat. And if you don't realize that you are eating sugar inadvertently, mm. then you may not actually understand why your blood What's sugar happening? is not controlled. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and as I was saying, um, that drop of sugar, and so you mm. start getting all jittery and more hungry mm. and all of that, you don't mm. understand it because you yes. think you're following the right diet. That's right. And a big part of integrative medicine, which is what I love, what I'm really passionate about, is education. Mm. I think that when patients and people are educated about what's actually happening inside my body, what's going wrong, then they can understand how they can go about trying to optimize and reverse what may be out of balance. And so if you don't understand why is my blood sugar going mm. up and why is it going down mm. and what are the foods that are contributing to that? For example, one of the things that a lot of people who have diabetes don't fully understand and appreciate mm. is that uh, refined foods and refined carbohydrates affect your body in pretty much the same way as sugar does. So patients will say, you know, I've cut out sugar, I'm not drinking the sugary juices and beverages, and I don't eat cakes and everything, but they're having half a plate of pop every night for, for, their, for their supper. Mm -hmm. And not realizing that that, is, that pop on half of the plate is actually going to affect your blood sugar in a similar way as having sugar would. Oh. So these are the key things that are so important for patients to understand and appreciate so that they can do something as simple as reducing your portion size of your of your carbs or switching out your carbs instead of having the refined carbs all the white breads white rice white pasta switching that out to whole grain options is a simple thing that you can do that will have a big impact on your blood sugar level because now you're adding fiber into the mix where refined foods have their fiber stripped out of them so it's almost as if you're getting a neat shot of sugar into your system mm. whereas if you had fiber I always like to say it's like it's like crowd control if you mm. think of a crowd of people rushing to a stadium you know into a stadium to watch your favorite performer performing on stage right so you're all standing outside the stadium gate and you want to get inside the stadium. If we just open the stadium gates and let everybody rush in, that's going to cause a spike in your blood sugar level. But if you put security guards and stop checkpoints in between and allow people to go in in a systematic way, that's almost like adding fiber into your diet. It slows down that sugar spike. Let's talk about the hidden salts. Because, again, as you said, sometimes you think you've eliminated that added salt on your table. Yes. But we are inheriting foods that already come with added <laughs> salt without even yeah. knowing it. That's it. So I like to say it's like SOS, save yeah. our salt, yeah. instead of... Instead, we say salt, oil, and sugar. So mm. any processed food, any food that's been, you know, engineered or designed or made and packaged in a, in a box or a packet that you buy on the, sh on the shelves that are not easily identifiable as, oh, this is an apple or this is a pear. Those foods generally in the packaging and processing of those foods will have salt, oil, and sugar added into them. And in fact, what's 
so sneaky about the food industry nowadays is there's actually something called the bliss point. Mm -hmm. Now, the bliss point is the exact ratio of salt, oil, and sugar that engineers addiction. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Almost like uh, you want to eat one cookie or one biscuit. (laughs) (laughs) You want to, right? And you you really think you can. (laughs) And you think you can, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's the bliss point in action. Oh. So interestingly, you know, salt is added to lots of food. It, it engineers, the, it actually ramps up the sweetness of food. What? For example. Mm. Sorry, I'm so sorry, Carmen. No, so no, what fine. chemically is that? What is it that triggers that mm. I want, I want, I want, I want, even if you are not generally a big eater? But yes. let's say, for instance, that bag of popcorn, if you go to the movies, <laughs> it's just not possible for you to put it down. The bag of <laughs> chips while you're watching a movie, you can't put it down. And so what, yes. what exactly actually is going on there where you just so like- cannot fill it in? You can't yeah, fill in enough. That's it. It's almost insatiable. Yeah. Um, and that's coming back to that, that um, point I was making about the bliss point. Mm. Because a lot of the foods that we eat are actually engineered in that way. They're engineered to make you actually not be satiated from them. Mm. And I'd like to think of cravings or like, you know, mm. binge eating and that kind of thing in two ways. One is the physical addiction to mm. the food. So mm. that bliss point in, 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 in action there. Um, but the other is, well, what are the other reasons why you may be eating? So are you bored? Are you trying? to fill an emotional um, sore point that or do you need some sweetness in your life that you aren't able to get elsewhere do you need grounding a lot of the time people who um, crave salty foods need a little bit more grounding in their life Um, but it's very fascinating to actually look at that um, ratio of salt oil and sugar because it affects the brain in a very similar way to drugs of abuse, like narcotics, yes, yeah, I that see we what would you know. Mean. Yeah, yeah. And so getting over that, that, that dependence on those foods and, and feeling like you can't actually almost control how much of them you're eating, it really requires the same approach as you would a person who is dependent on narcotics. You would never say to a person addicted to cocaine, for example, I'll just have a little bit of cocaine every other day. You would never say that. Yeah, yeah. You would say there needs to be a period of cold turkey and we need to figure out, you know, what are the things, this deep work that goes into it. And in the same way, unfortunately, the way our foods are produced nowadays, it's almost chemically engineering addiction. And we need to kind of sure. approach it in the same way that we would addiction to anything else. Mm, and and my word. So that mm-hmm. that kind of feels a little bit like you would you would have to admit the fact that you have an addiction problem and That's seek it. medical and seek help like real help. Yes. And it's not and I think a lot of the time, you know, people people have this impression or thought like oh if I if I you know cut out these foods my life's going to be boring or it's going to be miserable or it's going to be, you know, really in the beginning it can be all those things it can feel like you know it's torture and people may even have withdrawal symptoms and that type of thing but just remember that that will not last forever (laughs) your body and your palate adjust to tasting food that is chemically engineered for pleasure and that's really why we become dependent on them is because it gives us that dopamine hit that rush of like oh this feels so great but reversing that is a process and it does take time.
time. And certainly the first step is becoming aware that this is actually what's happening and that it's not your fault. I think a lot of the time yeah. people, you know, will, will feel like, oh, I can't do this. It's too hard. But remember that this is a biological process that's happening on a cellular level. And so it is something that will require not only willpower and commitment, but it's also going to require quite deep work together with trying to eliminate those things that are fueling that dependence from your diet. Sure. So there is a bit of chemical work also that has to be done, I suppose, or addressed mm. or, or looked into yes. if there is a chemical imbalance that is triggering the maybe the hunger. I mean, and yes. as you said, because you're integrating so many things, there is the checking into your emotional stability, your hormones, yes. chemically, if there's anything else that's possibly missing that's triggering the other things. That's it. So interestingly there, we see a lot of the time people are actually insulin resistant, meaning that the insulin inside your body, I like to think of it like this. It's almost as if your cells have locks on them mm -hmm. and we need energy to get inside the cells. But in order to get in, that, that the locks need to be unlocked. And insulin is like the key that basically unlocks the cells and allows the energy to get in. Now, insulin resistance happens where we have all of these, you know, multiple sugar spikes and crashes, spikes and crashes. And then that key stops working. And so you actually can't get the energy or the glucose into your cell. So your body thinks that you're starving because it doesn't process that you're actually getting sugar into yeah. your cells because it's not getting in there. And so insulin resistance is just one example of something that would need to be tested for because that is a um, essentially a pre-diabetic state where we can intervene at that point mm. and prevent things from getting worse. So aside from that, you know, other nutritional deficiencies and hormone imbalances, as you've mentioned, emotional dependence, stress. I mean, everybody's stressed out nowadays, I think far more mm. than we've ever been. Mm. And this is a big contributor uh, that drives behavior as well. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm already overwhelmed. Okay, so we've got six aspects to go. You've got some. Let's, let's talk about movement. Movement so important. I think that, you know, one of the things that I always encourage people to, to do is to change their mindset about movement. I think we often think that in order for us to be healthy, we need to be hitting the gym all the time, we need mm. to be exercising, do this intense workouts and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And not realizing that in our daily lives, we're becoming more and more inactive, more mm. sedentary. And it's far more important for us to start thinking about how can we include more movement into the day on a daily basis throughout the day than it is to like kill yourself at the gym for 90 minutes or 60 minutes. Hmm. So what I mean by that is if you think just about the amount of time that we've been sitting, it's an inordinate amount of time nowadays. Hmm. You drive to work or you're getting tra transport to work. You spend your day at work. A lot of us are spending the day behind a desk. You drive back home, you're sitting down for your dinner, you're sitting in front of the TV. We're sitting way too much. Mm. And so something as simple as trying to stand more throughout the day. So instead of, you know, sitting at your desk, you could easily just, you know, put something on top of your desk or get a desk stand and try to stand at your desk instead of sitting so much. Mm. For example, if you get a phone call, so much easier to, to make that a trigger for you to stand to up, up and take your phone call and walk about up, walking around I like exactly that. you know if you if you're spending a lot of time behind your desk and you have to sit down 
set an alarm every 30 minutes. Just stand up, walk around your desk, walk around the room and come back. Getting that movement in is so important. Parking further away from the entrance is another great example. Instead of parking, finding the closest parking to the door, try and intentionally park further away so that you get a bit of a walk in using the stairs instead of the elevator. All these are examples of how we can increase our movement throughout the day, which is so much more important than forcing yourself to go. I don't know about you, Pamela, but I'm not a gym person. I really don't like the gym. (laughs) It's just not my thing. Um, (laughs) You're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough, It's tough. But maybe you like to dance, right? So put in some music. Dance for like... 20 minutes or something. Mm. Try and find something you enjoy doing and something that's going to increase the amount of movement throughout your day. Can it be too much? Yes. And this is something that a lot of people don't understand. Mm. Is that especially when we're talking about intense workout. Mm-hmm. So so commonly, okay, this is the, the common thinking, right? Oh, I've gained all this weight during lockdown. Now I need to lose this weight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to eat Nothing but salad, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go to the gym for twice 60 a day. minutes every, yeah. you, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. twice a day, and I'm going to to do these intense boot camps and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. That is extremely stressful to your body, mm-hmm. and whenever the body's stressed out, it releases stress hormones. We know adrenaline. Adrenaline's the one that you know makes you feel mm-hmm. like antsy and increases your heart rate, makes you feel clammy, increases your blood pressure. Mm-hmm. But the other stress hormone is cortisol. And cortisol, is we need cortisol, mm-hmm. but when it's secreted in high levels, cortisol actually makes us gain weight. It makes us store weight. Amen. Are you all listening? Increase our... Are you all listening? I want them to stop and take it in. So yes. when you are stressed, you would put on weight. It's not yes. so much about how much you're eating, but that cortisol, as you said, yes. you, retain, you retain that weight. Yes. It's a massive driver of weight gain and people Mm. will often say you know i haven't really changed my diet much i'm not eating more but all of a sudden i'm just piling on the weight well why look at your stress stress is such a in fact probably 90 percent of chronic illness can be traced back to some or other kind of stress whether it's physical mental emotional whether it's the toxins in your environment whether it's your relationships financial stress we live in a stressful world we can't avoid it but the impact that stress has on our bodies is real and it's physical and it manifests physically. And that's why it's so important for us to address and manage, actively manage our stress. Lots of people will say to me, oh, but you know, we can't escape stress. We all face stress and it's part of life. Yes, that's true. <laughs> but there are ways that we can manage our stress and improve our adaptability to the stress that we face. Wow. Um, Stress management. I mean, you're speaking a lot about that stress management. Mm. Um, Is there a bullet, a silver bullet to to managing (laughs) stress? Because, you know, I I get the fact that I think some of the the issues that people have to deal with are very personal. Mm. And there is no solution. There is no, Mm. you know, overnight kind of solution. If you have lost your job, I don't have the job for you. 
you yes. know, tomorrow, that yes. kind of thing. And so that's that's maybe one of the things that one can, can talk about when we come back. I'm going to ask that we take a quick break for the headlines, but just maybe to talk about practical ways we can at least help people um, sure. deal with that the level of stress of people that, 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 that people are facing at the moment, especially now. So let's take mm. a quick break and, and go to Nandika Pukas for the latest in headlines at one thirty. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.6 FM in Mangawung. Dr. Carmen James is an integrative doctor and wellness coach, and we're speaking about the six, six, one, two, three, four, five, six aspects of optimizing lifestyle to support healing and overall health. And what we were uh, unpacking is the fact that integrative medicine really looks at the root of the problem. So as opposed to dealing with the symptoms, we're looking at the root of the problem so that we don't get to get you the painkillers, if that makes any sense. I hope I'm right, <laughs> Dr. James. <laughs> so stress management, it's, I think it's a biggie, particularly yes. now for a lot of people. Absolutely. I think people are so much more stressed now than ever before. And I don't think there is a single person who can say that they aren't affected um, by what's going on in the world right now. And mm. so now more than ever, it's important for us to think about some of the ways that we can actually reduce the pressure that that's putting on our physical and our mental bodies. So, you know, we spoke a little bit about the stress response just now. Mm -hmm. We spoke about stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, and really those are released in the stress response for the purpose of fight, flight, or freeze. So Mm. if you were to be attacked by a bear in the wilderness, Mm. uh, you would need to fight that bear off or run away or freeze and hope the bear doesn't see you, right? Mm. And in that response, what's happening is that your body is trying to survive. So stress hormones are released to optimize your body for survival. The thing is, we're not facing bears all the time, but mm. we are facing things like a pandemic, loss of jobs, loss of relationship, etc. And so the amount of stress that we face on a daily basis has skyrocketed, especially recently. Mm. And so if we think about that in context, mm. the underlying root cause of the stress we face is our body trying to survive. Well, what's the opposite of the stress response? Well, it's something called the rest, digest, and heal response. Mm -hmm. And it's governed by what's known as the parasympathetic nervous system. Big word, not necessary to know it, but it is important to know that you have an inbuilt mechanism that your body uses and activates to come down from that stress response. Mm -hmm. Because after you've survived from the bear, you don't want to be remaining in that hyperactive state. You Mm -hmm. want to come down and your body needs to go back into repair mode Mm -hmm. to kind of fix all the the, the damage and the stress that your body was under in that moment where, where you were trying to survive. So the question then becomes, well, how do we activate Mm. the parasympathetic nervous system? Because we cannot escape the stress that we face in our world, but we can try and tone our bodies to reduce the the impact that stress may be having. Mm -hmm. And And so there are a few, sorry. Sorry, so I think you're going to my to my to my response. I was going to ask. Yes. So practically, what, what can, can we, we do? do? Yeah. <laughs> so one of the most 
um, powerful ways. And and this is something that, you know, when I say it, people are going to say, ah, oh, that's too simple. Oh, that's, not, that's never going to work. But I challenge anybody who's thinking about this being too simple to give it a try. So one of the simplest ways that we can activate the parasympathetic nervous system is with deep breathing. When we are in a state of anxiety and stress, we breathe very shallowly because we need to kind of think fast and act and move. And so we're not activating the, we're not using the lower part of our lungs as much as we would. We're really breathing like these shallow breaths. And so when we activate that deep breathing, that's one of the ways that we can immediately activate the parasympathetic nervous system. And it may not necessarily be, like you said, the silver bullet, but it's definitely going to help you to switch off that stress response from time to time. So there are a number of different breathing exercises that one could do, but the one that I usually recommend that I found to be one of the most powerful and the most quick and easy to implement is something called the 478 breath. Mm -hmm. And really what it is, is taking a deep, sitting comfortably and taking a deep breath in for four counts, holding your breath for seven counts, Mm -hmm. and then breathing forcefully out of your mouth, making like a whooshing sound Mm. for a count of eight. And when you do that cycle of four, seven, eight breath four times, Mm -hmm. that has been shown in studies. In fact, there's now research to prove that this can reduce that stress response that we find ourselves in all the time. Mm -hmm. So how can we use this? I usually don't recommend that you do it more than twice a day. If you're starting off, do it in the morning and do it in the evening. If you're struggling to sleep, do it before bedtime. If you're somebody who experiences anxiety during the day, do it when you're feeling anxious. But the 478 breath is something that I encourage everybody to do twice a day, morning and evening. There are some other things that we can do. You've obviously heard of them. I've heard you speaking about them on your show as well. Meditation, powerful. Mm. Even just five minutes of meditation a day can improve your stress response drastically. And I think that when we think of meditation, we think of it like this airy-fairy thing. Sometimes people think that, you know, it's, it's attached to some kind of religious belief or something. It's really just giving your brain a yeah. chance to not get wrapped up in your thoughts because we're constantly so, thinking. <laughs> can I ask you, I mean, mm. now I'm going to just completely let the kit out of the bag. Yes. And I mean, I don't care if anybody <laughs> is judging me right now. It doesn't matter. Mm. So every time I try mm. to meditate, I fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it never works. That's hilarious. It never works. Well, I so, I mean, right. I have every intention. <laughs> I really have every intention of doing the right thing, but I fall asleep. So so that's fantastic, Camilla, and I don't think that you're alone (laughs) in that one. And I think that sometimes, you know, we we try and meditate thinking that we want to be the best meditator. No. (laughs) It's a practice, you know. And if it's it's inducing sleep, how fantastic. I mean, (laughs) I'm supposed to be... (laughs) Following the instruction and all of that. That doesn't help. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe, you know, I keep trying. I mean, I haven't given up. I keep trying. I'm just Don't saying. Give up. I just, Don't give I'm up. just saying that, you know, if anybody's listening and thinking, ah, this thing doesn't work, you're not yeah. alone. I've, I've, yeah. I'm trying. And yeah. I promise you, 
at a drop of a hat. I fall asleep every time. But, you know, we keep going. And oh, then you so talk about sleep a lot. Mm, mm, yes. So this is, this is another thing. In fact, sleep can definitely help also mm. to, to do a lot of, other, lot of things for, you, for your health. But also when it ties into stress. I think that people are having trouble sleeping. Part of the reason for that is because we're we're hyper alert now. We're in this fight or flight mode all the time. Um, and I think there are some other reasons why we're struggling to sleep. And optimizing our sleep can also feed into our stress management protocol. So when it comes to trying to sleep, there are some things that will affect your ability to fall asleep. So you clearly don't have any issues in that regard when it comes to meditating. It seems like you can fall asleep <laughs> at the top of a hat. No, some people no really but <laughs> isn't it funny though? But <laughs> because it's sleep, as simple as it is, is quite tricky. So tricky. I can fall asleep when I'm trying to meditate. But mm. let me tell you, anybody I work with, they know at two mm. o'clock in the morning, they are um, up thinking, what is going on now? Yeah. Have you tried meditating at two o'clock then? Maybe what you should try is do a four, seven, eight breath mm. and meditate and see at 2 a.m. if that helps you. I'll try it. But some of the things that, you know, affect our ability to sleep and that probably like my number one thing is our phones or screens. Screen time before bed is probably one of the worst things that you can do if you are trying to optimize your sleep and if you have insomnia or difficulty sleeping. And we've become so dependent on our devices. I can't tell you how many people will say, you know, I have trouble sleeping. Mm. And so, you know, the first thing I do is I go and scroll on the Internet and, you know, wait for myself to get drowsy. All that light coming from your screen is telling your brain it's daytime. And it's not switching on your sleep hormone, which is melatonin. Melatonin is activated and switched on in darkness. And so when we're on our phone screens, we're getting all this light in the back of our eyes that's telling us it's daytime. It's time to be awake. It's time to be alert. It's time to do things. And so getting onto your phone when you're having trouble sleeping is really going to derail your efforts completely. Mm. And so I usually recommend for people to get off their devices about an hour before they're going to bed and to really get into a routine around bedtime. Try to get to sleep and wake up at about the same time every day and get yourself into what's known as a winding down routine. Um, it's so interesting how, you know, we would never sit at the table and wait to get hungry before we eat, <laughs> but we'll go into bed and wait to fall asleep, even though we're having trouble sleeping. So if you're having trouble sleeping, I always say, get up, get out of bed. Interesting. Maybe okay. get, get out and maybe write something in a journal, yeah. or maybe do a meditation, mm. or maybe do a bit of deep breathing. But don't lie in bed tossing and turning, hoping for sleep to come, because in that moment, you're stressing your body out and you're making yourself more alert. Mm, okay, that sounds amazing. There's some voice notes that are coming through. Let's just take a listen. Good day, Pamela and your guest there. Uh, my problem is like uh, I was diagnosed with a, a depression in 2009. And then Four years down the line, the doctor said to me, you know, I'm busy, I see you, but 
I don't see you getting better. What's uh, what's what's worrying you? Do you go for your uh, therapy? I said yes, I do go for therapy. And then he said to me, maybe I should send you for psychotherapy. And then I said to him, what is that? And then he said, psychotherapy, I would call it as a painful procedure, but it's not like the doctor is touching you. Hello, Pamela and your guest. Uh, you're talking about a very, uh, you know, close to the heart of one's life's topic. And with regards to breathing, let me throw in my two cents worth since you're talking about meditation. Um, you know, every time you feel anxious, uh, if you can pay attention to your breathing technique, like your breath, you don't need to control your breath, but be conscious of of your breath. Like you feel it, you, you feel it passing down uh, into your um, into your nose, uh, filling your lungs, and then coming out again. If you pay attention to that, you'd you you'd be calm. You'd be calm, and uh, it 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 will really help. You know, even to lower your heart rate, and that's that's just my two cents worth. <laughs> That sounds absolutely. I mean, so people almost know what to do, um, mm. Doctor Carmen. It's, it's. I think there is a disconnect somehow. We we know what we need to do, but maybe just getting it done is so hard. Yes. So there's a there's a fantastic teaching because this is so important. You know, sometimes we know all the things and all the mm. steps, and we just don't do it. Um, and so it's it's. It's important, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier that you feel overwhelmed because there's Mm. so many things, right? There's Mm. so many things that you could potentially do. But I like to say, pick one thing, break it down into its tiniest, tiniest component and start there. So in other words, if mm. you are having a slab of chocolate a day, (laughs) maybe have half at a time. Mm. And then don't give up completely, have half. For a while. How long? We hear a lot, um, Dr. James, about the 21 days. How long would it take us for us to start forming these habits? So they say that it takes 66 days for a habit, a new habit or behavior Mm -hmm. to become automatic. Mm. So generally, 21 days is a good period of time to start implementing a new habit. Okay. But in order for that habit to become part of you, I mean, we are what we habitually do. So in order for us to make these new behaviors habitual, you have to at least be trying for a period of 66 days before it's going to become second nature to you, in other words. I always like to say also that nature doesn't like a vacuum. So you mentioned reducing your amount of chocolate that you have in a day, mm, but mm, what are you going to do in the meantime? to compensate for the other half? You know what I mean? So where's the the gap now that you've created? So perhaps in that gap, you could look for, okay, so how else can I increase the sweetness in my life? Mm. Um, Do I need to um, nurture my relationships? Is there a friend that maybe I need to be calling to reconnect with? Do I want to learn a new hobby? Do I want to um, express my creativity in a new way? Trying to 
find something that's not only going to be about restricting. I think when we think about, I can't have mm. this and I can't do that. And, you know, people often say to me, oh, you can't eat this. I never think of it like that. I always think of it as, what can I have? How can I add into my life? What am I adding in to create more abundance, to not only fill that gap, but to overflow? So that you're not feeling like, oh, life is miserable and this sucks. Because if you feel that way, yeah. you're not going to think through it and you change That's for very long. So then what is your, um, what are your thoughts on things like, there's a lot of talk about intermittent fasting at the moment. It's yes. become a thing. What do yes. you feel about that? What are your thoughts around that? I love intermittent fasting. Mm. It's one of, to me, if done correctly, and mm. it is important to, to do it correctly because there are a few adjustments and things to take into consideration depending on the person and underlying chronic illness. But if done correctly, intermittent fasting is not only cheap because it costs nothing. nothing. <laughs> But it's also one of the most highly effective ways of giving your body a chance to heal. Because if you, so essentially for those people maybe who haven't heard of intermittent fasting or don't know much about it, essentially what it is, is taking a period of time in your day where you are eating, so having an eating window, and then the rest of your day you don't eat. So the most like the classic type of intermittent fasting is the 8-16 window where you eat for eight hours in your day, but for 16 hours of your day, you're not eating. So during that 16 hours, what's actually happening is your body is having a chance to sort itself out. It's having a chance to reduce inflammation, to clear out any unnecessary um, cells that may be dead or dying and ineffective. It has an opportunity to eliminate toxins. Your gut has a chance to heal during that time as well. Your blood sugar has a chance to normalize. You're basically engineering what's called ketosis, where you start to use fat as an energy source instead of sugar. So there's many powerful benefits of intermittent fasting. And like I said, if done correctly and under supervision, it can be one of the most powerful tools in your toolbox when it comes to optimizing your overall health and wellness. Okay, Sunder's on the line. We'll take Sunder in a short while. Let me just take a quick break. I'll be back with more. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. Doctor, thank you very much for this good program. Pamelo, keep it up. Afternoon and your team. It's Uncle JJ truck driver. I have got a stress. I didn't sleep. You know, my firstborn is doing automotive engineering. Only to hear yesterday that uh, his girlfriend, she's pregnant. Four months. I, I didn't sleep yesterday. And I still have the stress. So how can I help myself? Please help me. Hello, Pumelo and the guest. This is Dumisani, Captain. I just want to ask, uh, what is the dangers of working while standing the whole day? Because it, I hear you talking of the dangers of working while you sit down. But some of us, we work standing the whole day. What is the danger, if there is any? Thank you.
Dr. James, I'm going to take uh, Sanda uh, before we get those responses because uh, Sanda's been waiting for a while. Sanda, thank you so much for calling. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Um, am, I, am I audible? Yes, you're online. Thank you for calling. Thank you, thank you for taking my call. Um, mine, I don't know, mine is actually quite, um, okay. I think when it comes to sleeping, mm-hmm. um, my body clock, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, somehow has been affected since giving birth. Mm-hmm. Got three kids now. And I find that for some reason, I just cannot go back, you know, to sleeping like a full um, I don't know if any adults uh, actually is able to sleep like four, seven, or even six hours for that matter. Um, it's like I will sleep and then every single morning at about three o'clock I'm awake. It's three o'clock to about six and I have to wake up and I feel tired when I wake up. And then I think I've tried now to kind of like um, put in, you know, um, gym as well, mm-hmm. where I just, I just get up, you know, to jog in the morning. And I jog as well in the afternoon just to time myself out. Um, but somehow that three o'clock, I don't know, maybe it has to do uh, with the, you know, the babies when you have to breastfeed hourly, 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 mm. and then it changes. Mm. But, but for some reason, mm. my body thinks mm. that I don't know how to. Yeah. <laughs> Carmen? Oh. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that question. Um, I think that what I believe it's a Sunday, right? Um, you're touching on a very important issue, which is the circadian rhythm. Now, we all have a circadian rhythm, a sleep-wake cycle, and basically we should all be sleeping when it's dark and waking up when it's light. But there are multiple things that can actually disturb and disrupt that sleep-wake cycle. And so to answer your question about some of the things that you could try to do to get your rhythm back, I think it's important to make sure that you're eliminating the things that could potentially be affecting your ability to sleep, things like being on your phone, things like eating too late at night, but also important getting in a routine around that. Something that may also help you to get back into rhythm, a very powerful thing, is to get morning sun. I think because of the amount of artificial light we experience during the day, our bodies can get confused, not only from the screens, but from like the overhead lighting that we experience in offices, in homes. And so getting morning sun before 12 o'clock, essentially before 10 o'clock if you can, getting at least 20 minutes of morning sun will help to send those signals to the back of your eye to say that this is actual sunlight. And instead of the artificial light that we experience. Another powerful thing that you can do is before your bedtime, try to switch off all your overhead lights and rather use either bedside lamps and lighting, alternate lighting in your home or candles even as an option, just so that your brain can start to switch on melatonin before it's time for you to sleep. And then another thing that I think could potentially help to reset that clock is to take a melatonin supplement. So depending on where you get it from, your doctor would be able to prescribe it. Alternatively, you can purchase it in a health shop. But taking about two milligrams of melatonin two hours before bed will also help to ramp up your melatonin levels so that your sleep-wake cycle can be reset. And this doesn't, that melatonin is not a sleeping tablet. Mm. It doesn't make you fall asleep, but it does help to increase the amount of melatonin inside your body 
so that you can sleep for a longer period of time. Generally, three months on melatonin is a good amount of time to reset the circadian rhythm. All right. Um, the guy who said um, he, he stands all day while yes. at work, how do we yes. help him? So that's a great question. I do think that it is important to note that you can stand for too long a period of time mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. The most common things that we see is things like muscle and joint pain. Cramping is another thing that people would experience, as well as circulation issues. Because if you're standing in one position, remember gravity is pulling all that blood to pull down in your legs. And so it's important to have a mix throughout the day. Um, if you If he is standing for for his work like consistently i would recommend that you know he tries to walk around a little bit as well in between just to get those muscles um pumping that blood that may be sitting and pooling in the legs um and then something um that may help him when he gets back home is elevation so an opportunity there would be to you know if he's sitting in front of the tv or when he's having his supper to elevate the legs um, to about the level of the heart, even during sleeping, would also help to improve circulation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the Uncle JJ spoke about Can stress. I just say I love Uncle JJ? Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. It's, but Uncle JJ must also understand, you know, if a, if a boy wants to go make a child, you know, yes. Uncle JJ. So I think the, the, he brings up a great point, though, which is, you know, when, when you acutely stressed out, it can affect your ability to sleep because it does stress you out. But I think one of the most powerful things in a situation like that is to learn to let go. Mm. Acceptance is one right. of the most powerful stress relievers because I think that we get more worked up by things that are beyond our control and it's unnecessary. You know, the thing is, we, though, we, Uncle JJ, the child's hmm. already here. <laughs> it's nothing, <laughs> it's nothing you can do now. Except embrace, I, I'm adapt. So sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Let me quickly go to Trevor. I know that we're running late. Trevor, hi. Sure. Hi, how are you? We well. Thanks for calling, Trevor. Good, good. I was diagnosed recently with uh, stress eczema. Mm. So uh, the doctor gave me treatment for it and cream. But I'm still battling. I'm still battling even with sleep. Uh, my wife's going to really fight with me now. In the afternoons, I have to have a glass of wine for me to actually fall asleep. Sure. It, it's not good pattern. So I'm constantly having panic attacks. Mm. And I don't know how to resolve this. The doctor has given me medication, but I need to find the root cause and a solution. A sustainable solution. I can't be popping up pills. They they, they gave me else, but I, 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 I had to go with that. It was causing me more problems. Mm. I don't know how to resolve this. Oh, sounds desperate. So, sorry, I missed the diagnosis. What was that? The, the doctor said I've got a stress eczema. Stress eczema. Stress eczema. Mm. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Okay, fantastic. So. This is an important topic, and I think that we were going to touch on supplements in a bit. We will. Um, well, I mean, we're going to have to schedule another appointment, I think. Okay. Doc. <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the, I, I would look into trying to, you know, aside from all the the, the, the stress relieving things that we've spoken about today, is to consider taking a CBD supplement. Um, the reason CBD for supplement. this is because CBD helps cannabis, to cannabis relieve. Trevor? To re- yes, it helps to relieve stress. And interestingly, uh, CBD 
uh, topically, so rubbed onto the skin, can also help to reduce the inflammation. I think that it is important also to tackle the underlying root cause and also to to do, um, you know, something that may be helpful for you would be something called an elimination diet, which is essentially where you eliminate all the common things that trigger allergies because eczema is definitely linked to an immune system, you know, that's flaring up. Mm. Try to eliminate the things that commonly cause um, allergies and then for a period of at least two weeks and then introduce them one by one and see if anything is actually triggering your flare-up. So things like uh, soy and corn and sugar and gluten and dairy, all of these things commonly trigger inflammation. Remove them and add them in slowly one by one to see if any of those may actually be making your situation worse. Oh, okay, so we've got a date. We'll see when that will be. <laughs> Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Thanks, Dr. James. Been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Pamela. Absolute pleasure. Dr. Carmen James is integrative doctor and a wellness coach. We will have that podcast available for you later. Just gone two o'clock. Let's go to Nandika Bukas for the latest in SABC News.